Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. And today we have with us a very special guest, Alex Whiteclay. Thanks for coming back on the show, Alex. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. Uh, so today we're going to be going over the contents of the Midnight Hunt Precon decks. Uh, we've got a couple of new commanders, a lot of new main deck cards. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how these cards are going to impact the commander format. Just in terms of ease of, of, of comprehension and making it easy to scroll through these, we're going to be going through them in order of each of the decks. So rather than going through color order, we're going to be going through the entire undead blue-black precon first, and then we'll be going through the, the green-white human deck. With that, I think we can jump into the legendary creatures. So who wants to start us off with the first base commander? This is Wilhelt the Rot Cleaver. So Wilhelt is a 3-3 zombie warrior for 4 mana, 2 blue-black. He has whenever another zombie you control dies, if it didn't have decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decayed. And uh, if everyone remembers from last time or just from playing at this point, decayed is when it attacks, you have to sack it at end of combat, and it cannot block. And then at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice a zombie if you do draw a card. This is a lot for four mana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite zombie commanders so far. I I really like how well this works with the self-recurring zombies like Gravecrawler, Relentless Dead, Narfi, Master of Death. Uh, There's just so many zombies that can get themselves back from your yard. So you can just constantly get value by drawing cards and, and making more tokens throughout the game. So I really like that. Yeah, I agree. This is quite a strong execution on zombie aristocrats, I think. Um, The fact that the tokens have decay uh, is probably not even going to be something you mind very much. And particularly since a lot of players have kind of come to appreciate the bonus of, or a lot of players have come to appreciate the benefit of having a food token lying around. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, you know, things that are there that you can spend uh, on literally anything other than what the token is meant to do sacrificing the tokens obviously pretty good you can trigger grave pact and things like that but zombies like crypt breaker or grave spawn sovereign uh, will make you feel pretty smart when you're tapping your decayed guys every turn for benefit and i'm clearly watsy agreed since we see in the main set a lot of zombies and zombie related cards that have tap x creature activations oh yeah just I, I really love that Decayed uh, is itself a sack outlet. Like, as you mentioned, it uh, just provides its own natural synergy with things like Grave Pact. And then, of course, in black, there's just so many things that tra- trigger off of your creatures dying, like Dark Prophecy, Undead Augur, Skull Clamp. There is just a lot of ways to make it so that, yeah, you get in your attack and you maybe deal a little bit of damage, but you're also naturally going to draw a bunch of cards when all your tokens die. I wanted to mention, too, the fact that this is a zombie is pretty big. Uh, there, for whatever reason, are a lot of zombie-related commanders that are not themselves zombies, which makes Noxious Ghoul and Call to the Grave a real pain to play around. Yeah. <laughs> so, always good to see a zombie in the command zone for a zombie deck. Also, notably, this goes infinite with Doll Stitcher from the main set, or more accurately, uh, Toy Factory, the backside which makes it so the zombies that you create lose all abilities, including Decayed, so when they die, 
they don't have decayed, you get another zombie, the zombie doesn't have decayed, and so on. Another kind of odd interaction is if you put an infinite reflection on will health, every one of your creatures will become will health, die to the legend rule, but will health doesn't have uh, decayed, so you'll make more zombies, except they'll be will health, and then they'll die to the legend rule, and so on and so forth. So if you have a non-creature payoff to creatures just dying constantly, like the Meat Hook Massacre, uh, you might be able to figure out a win that way as well. Nice. Love that combo potential. Uh, it's it's great when a deck can, you know, has its game plan where it just generates a little bit of value, but has an, a built-in way to end the game if necessary. I'm just going to echo the point on the zombie commander being a zombie, because I think one of the things that they did with this set is when they looked at the tribes, they really looked at like, what cards do you want to play? They they said explicitly that they had done this for werewolves with Tovalar in the main set. My assumption is that they did that here too, that they looked at what zombie cards like people want to play, people are playing with, was kind of difficult to play, and then they made Wilhelt to kind of slot into that strategy. So I'm yeah super happy with this guy, super cool. It definitely makes me optimistic for hopefully the spirit commanders we see in uh, the next set. Mm-hmm. Which I can't believe it's so soon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Blowing my mind. Yeah. We only got like, honestly, like we probably only have a month or six weeks before the next spoiler season starts. So, mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like a month uh, and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It never ends. Nope, not anymore. <laughs> On that note, do you want me to read off this next commander? Let's hear it. So this is Eloise Nefalia Sleuth. So this is a 4-4 human rogue for 5 mana, 3 blue-black. They have two abilities. Whenever another creature you control dies, investigate. And whenever you sacrifice a token, surveil one. So just as a refresher, investigate as you make a clue. The clue has pay 2, sack this artifact, draw a card. And surveil is scry, but instead of putting on the bottom of your library, you put it into your graveyard. Yeah, thoughts? Thoughts on, on this card? I love that they put both of the like thematically detective mechanics onto one card. I think that's a, oh, yeah. a, a great use of just calling back to old mechanics. And the, the first thing I want to point out is that there is a one card draw the game combo and a two card win the game combo with this commander. So if you have a March of the Machines out on the board, which is three and a blue for an enchantment. Non-creature artifacts you control are artifact creatures with power and deafness each equal to their CMC, or rather, their mana value. Then what's going to happen is your clues are going to become animated. They will then die immediately because their mana value is zero. Eloise triggers again because, notably, she doesn't say non-token creature. So Eloise triggers again, creates a new clue, that clue dies, and so on and so forth. That loop, there's no you maze involved in that loop, so it's just going to keep triggering and happening over and over. So unless your opponent has removal or has some other way to disrupt it, then it's just going to draw the game right there. But if you happen to have like a blood artist or, or really any type of effect that triggers off of an artifact entering the battlefield or leaving the battlefield or a creature entering the battlefield or a creature dying then you can just turn that into a win. You know, if, if your game's running too long, if you want to make sure your precon has a little bit of reach, I think that is uh, something worth considering as you're building your deck. Yeah, I think this has a, kind of a lot of hooks to hang off of. And all around seems like a better execution on Denik, the uh, sort of 
extremely convoluted spirit that has a similar sort of when a creature dies investigate text i could see like an artifact creature token kind of strategy here with mirror battle sphere being sort of the exemplar of what we're talking about since a single battle sphere will net you nine surveils which you know you can see a lot of your deck with nine surveils and along the way you can use cards like marionette master or disciple of the vault to deal some damage summoning station to make some tokens uh, alternatively you toss a time sieve into the mix and one battle sphere can turn into two extra turns honestly if you're looking to have a dedicated time sieve deck this probably is pretty near the top of the list also it seems as though the phyrexian mode kill on mirrodin besieged would be pretty reasonable too since you can like i said surveil extremely fast getting all those artifacts in the graveyard won't really be too big of an ask mm -hmm. and then as far as other combos go, infinite combos, Mirror Retriever, Junk Diver, and Park Clan Ironworks net you infinite mana, infinite clues, and with the combination of those two things, infinite draw. Uh, you can also slot in Workshop Assistant and Scrap Trawler. You know, however you get this done with infinite mana and infinite cards, how you win is sort of an exercise to the listener. Yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah, I really love Marionette Master in this list, especially if you have art other artifact sack outlets. Like that was a great recommendation. I've been playing with Marionette Master in um in my Prosper list, and it really is just an easy win condition. One of the fastest ways to win the game, kind of out of nowhere. So I, I can see this commander being really good at accumulating clue tokens and just having a way to convert that into a win seems really fantastic. One other piece of tech I want to highlight is Shimmer Dragon. Just having a way to utilize your clues in a way that's uh, useful. It's, I mean, it's similar to some of the like tap things that allow you to tap your, your decayed tokens for value in a will help list. But Shimmer Dragon just allowing you to tap your clues to draw cards without actually spending them is a really nice piece of tech as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clock of Omens can do a lot of kind of similar tricky things. Um, there are a few infinite combos that you can kind of puzzle together with Clock of Omens um, and various token makers. And, you know, if you're already running a lot of those pieces anyway, you might as well just add in the clock and make it make it a full circle. I really like this card. I think that the trigger is incredibly powerful. I think the fact that both of you have hit, identified multiple infinite combos is kind of proof of that and so i'm actually really happy that they made this five mana i think if they had printed this at like three or four mana this would just completely destroy casual tables like someone would pop this out of the box and it would not be unlikely that they'd end up in a situation where just something completely heinous is going on so i think that this is like pretty fair at five mana but by fair i mean like really good for what you're getting and yeah just kind of echoing something alex said like Say well, I guess uh, Nick said this is the two, two sleuthing mechanics are really cool, and I love that the commander decks are letting them do stuff like this, like outside of a Modern Horizons or like a Time Spirally Commander Legends type set. Like I, I love seeing these different set mechanics on the same card, and think that the game is better for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's always fun to see. Uh, there's, as you both kind of know, there's a lot of unexplored space we see that all the time with 
custom cards and things like that. And it's always mm-hmm. interesting to see Watsy sort of bringing those unexplored spaces into the canon of the game. Definitely. As far as the mana cost on this goes, I as I was kind of putting together a list for this, I fell into a fix that I often see and often use in artifact heavy lists where you end up like lowering your land count and raising your mana rock count mm-hmm. in order to kind of move your clock forward without the help of green and in a deck that's already kind of interested in you know march of the machines or uh, is already interested in sacrificing artifacts for value having that many mana rocks in a deck is already something you kind of want so it's in conversation with what you're already trying to do and almost seems like it's pointing you in the right direction more than it's getting you in your way. I can agree with that. There's definitely times when I've done the same thing. I'm running like 34, 35 lands and like 20 to 15 mana rocks. And it's just because like it kind of forces you to play correctly. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, Do we want to Yeah, get into this next one? Yeah. Do you mind if I read this off? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, this is Gorex the Tomb Shell. It is six black black for a four four legendary creature zombie turtle. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may exile any number of creature cards from your graveyard. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. It has death touch, and whenever Gorex the Tomb Shell attacks or dies, choose a card at random exiled with Gorex and put that card into its owner's hand. So, really interesting Aww. execution here. How do you feel about this design? It's an awful lot of text for what appears to just be some raised deads. Mm -hmm. It's cool that you can cheat the command tax in a pretty aggressive way with that alternative way to uh, pay for Gorex. But it's hard in black to speed up the attack triggers. Um, You have like Strionic Resonator and Lithoform Engine, but you're not even cheating things into play. So kind of going through that effort seems, at least to me, sort of marginal. All said, I'm reminded of Ethereal Forger, which was a really cool concept, but has hardly seen any adoption at all. It's in under 800 decks. Um, Ethereal Forger being uh, a creature with Delve, where you could return the instant and sorceries that had been delved away by it. So I would be very surprised if a card that is pretty substantially similar to Ethereal Forger gains traction. That's kind of the only point I I really had about this card is that Ethereal Forager was seeing some play in like legacy lists as like a threat that gets you back value and spells and stuff like that. And I could see Gorex doing kind of the same thing, like pitching like Stitcher suppliers and things like that to get like a cheap 4-4 that gets you value over the game. But like, that's not really the type of gameplay that I'm looking for in Commander. (laughs) I'm not really sure why this guy's here. And maybe some people just really love getting around commander tax and this is playing into those people. Yeah, I just I'm super not excited about even even if you get him for the absolute cheapest mode and he's always a two cost four four death touch that draws a random creature every turn. Like those stats certainly aren't exciting and like that rate of card draw is also not exciting. Like if you want to do recursion in black, there's just so many better ways to do it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I don't. I also don't like the fail case of like I made my commander two mana, and now my three creatures that I was gonna try and get back are gone forever. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels pretty bad. Yeah, I wish it had like exiled them with a like shell counter on them or something so that yeah. it could reference things that it had previously exiled. But anyway, we are going to move on to the main deck cards that are new to Magic and printed for the first time in this blue black zombie precon. If you want to hear about our thoughts on the the white green human deck, you're going to have to probably jump about halfway through this episode, but yeah. <laughs> Moving on to this first new zombie card, it's Cleaver Scob. Three and a blue for a 2-4 creature zombie horror. It has three tap, sacrifice another zombie, create two tokens that are copies of the sacrifice creature. So this is a pretty neat little engine card. There are a lot of zombies that just provide fantastic value with this. You know, there's, there's things like Grey Merchant of Asphodel, which you're doubling up on can can really shift the the balance of life totals at the table flesh bag marauder you know uh provide a uh really really nasty um barter and blood effect for your opponents sadisi undead vizier can get two tutors the, the two that come in can actually sacrifice each other Brexian delver provides some reanimation newscraft mob just makes tons and tons of tokens and it's great that you can of course like let a newscraft mob get like most of the way dead like maybe just one or two counters left and then kind of get two refreshed ones so those are all really appealing to me uh alex i know you have some others that you're pretty excited by yeah noxious ghoul uh which i mentioned earlier on in the episode but it has whenever a zombie enters the battlefield each non-zombie gets minus one minus one um having multiples of those piles on the negatives pretty quick and if two of them are entering simultaneously um, that's already basically a board wipe right there but as you pile on more and more it just gets uh, even more lethal another one that looked pretty interesting is custody lich which when it enters the battlefield you become the monarch and then when you become the monarch target opponent sacrifices a creature and what that allows you to do is as you take on more and more custody liches you can throw around even more sacrifice triggers and you can just take the monarch back as soon as it's stolen from you to the point that the person who took it from you can't even get around to using it um and their punishment for even trying is that you get this ever-increasing number of edicts for them there are a couple of lords too that seem to play pretty nicely with this um lord of the undead which can return zombies back to your hand from the graveyard, so you can return the original. And then Undead Warchief, which has a plus two plus one as its buff, as opposed to plus one plus one, and also provides a cost reduction, both of which in multiples uh, get pretty enticing. Yeah, this uh, seems like a great little engine. So like, obviously it can do very cool things. Um, how do you feel about the rate on it? Just like the cost to play and activate? I don't think we'll be seeing it at CEDH tables. I mean, it's obviously, <laughs> you're paying for what you're getting. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I was actually kind of down on this thing looking at it, but then, like, the options are so powerful that I actually think it's worth it, but this is definitely a fair rate for what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what this has going for it is that zombies are sort of this funny case of what is ostensibly an aggro-y mid-range deck into very controlling colors. So you are decently well-positioned just by virtue of being in blue-black 
to kind of slow the game down to the point that you can get to a cleaver scob and also to get to the point that you have things to make it meaningful and that as we have discussed so many of those things are so brutal once you get to them yeah they really like can just take over a game if you can keep making custodial edges yeah. or whatever whatever it might be all of a sudden you're just like hmm well can you get through this overwhelming amount of like four twos that have etbs that draw me cards and like make you sack your boards like yeah or my hard. army of seven gray merchants that if you attack me i'll just drain the table for 20 yeah <laughs> yeah exactly just there's not really a way to get through that which is i mean good that's a that's a pretty nice like ceiling to have on a, a slow four drop yeah i would say this card is it's one of those high ceiling cards the draw is in the high ceiling the low floor you'll just have to live with it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely Moving on to the next card. Who wants to read this one? This is Curse of Unbinding. It's six and a blue for an aura curse with Enchant Player. At the beginning of Enchanted Player's upkeep, that player reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield under your control. That player puts the rest of the revealed cards into their graveyard. I really like this new type of curse that we've we've seen a bit of in midnight hunt in the the precons where it's it's kind of it's often worth it to curse yourself because you know there is of course a danger of cursing someone they die you've lost your curse but if you put this on yourself you're you're never going to be in a state where you die and the curse falls off and that's a bad situation but also you can just better affect like like what you're going to flip into there's plenty of blue decks out there that are running big fat that they want to cheat into play i'm thinking of like braids conjurer adept or jalira the polymorph lady both of them are have some some pretty excellent things to drop in or flip into and curse of unbinding seems like it, it could be a good addition to those decks at a more casual table yeah as far as these curses that you don't mind having on yourself go um i think the new curse commander lind is especially pleased about these since an opponent dying probably means you'll end up with a backlog of curses on yourself that you need to start passing around. So mm-hmm. a curse that like really isn't actually a downside if it's on you is pretty nice kind of quality of life thing uh, when you are going to have to spend you know the next three turns handing out curses. This next one is bonkers though. I, I don't know if you want to keep talking about that one, but this next one actually has some like interesting points to it yeah let's hear the next one yeah so this is drown in dreams and it's going to sound very familiar it is x two and a blue for an instant choose one if you control a commander as you cast this spell you may choose both target player draws x cards target player mills twice x cards so hmm i just got to get in that i'm super surprised to well i guess i shouldn't be surprised but it's it's so interesting that like in these consecutive commander precons, we keep getting X draw spells in blue. We got Commander's Insight in the C21 precons. We got Diviner's Portent in the uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms precons. And now we get this. Like it's how many X draw spells in blue do you think need to exist? Like at what point <laughs> are, are you just kind of like not really adding 
more to your deck. You're just kind of like slightly upgrading the ones you already have. <laughs> For my two cents, I am actually glad to see another stroke of genius as opposed to a blue sun zenith. We've seen a lot that are X blue, blue, blue. This is mm-hmm. X two and a blue. And there are definitely decks that prefer stroke of genius's mana cost, particularly if they're dealing in cost reduction or they're generating lots of mana of a different color, where the limiting factor is how much blue you are actually able to produce to keep whatever it is you're doing going. You know, Blue Sun Zenith is played in about three times as many decks as Stroke of Genius, but I'm not convinced that that really ought to be the case. And I think this new card here, Drown in Dreams, might sort of be the remedy to that kind of way of thinking. Like I said, there there's a lot that you can do with Stroke of Genius that you just kind of can't as efficiently with Blue Suns. And here you have this upside where you can very probably deal this very large mill effect as well, which has kind of a few advantages. So first off, if you're playing in a graveyard deck, you can hit yourself and potentially be looking at, you know, nearly tripling your your card advantage (laughs) that you're getting out of the effect if you can, say, play with the lands that you're milling and get the creatures back out and play with flashback cards. Mm -hmm. And Kind of interestingly, you only you can actually sort of manually kill someone with this in a much easier way than you can with most of these other draw X spells. Mm-hmm. Specifically because if X is like 30, you are making them draw 30 and then milling them for 60 and then they're dead. Like, you know, they drew their opening hand. It's probably later than turn four. That's that's like a normal amount of mana. You might produce 33 mana without going infinite. Um you know, for that purpose, it's kind of a shame they didn't put the modes in the opposite order, but you can't have it all, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and if you do go infinite, kind of a nice thing that this allows you to do is you can just with this take out two players at once, mill one out and draw another out, or you can draw your whole deck and mill out one opponent and then kind of deal with the others however you're going to deal with them. Yeah, I think that's the I like this more than some of the other versions that we've seen simply for that same reason i'll get back to nick's point but like i think that the versatility on this is really cool there are decks that just will play nick's porn ancient or like mana reflection and all of those like double your mana cards so it's not unheard of for like a blue green or a blue x deck to like really go off have a ton of mana high tide whatever so that that is a, a valid point and to get to like Nick's point of like, how many of these do we need? I think at a certain point, we're going to need to start yelling at wizards because <laughs> at a certain point, there's going to be too many options and prices on the good ones are going to be too much. You know, like, like they're like, this is a X draw spell with the set mechanic. And you're like, please, we just need a reprint of Drown and Dreams. Like, can you just do that, please? And And this is actually a point I think Alex has made either on the show or we've made on behalf of Alex, because if they keep printing like functionally similar, but different cards, I mentioned Nyxborn ancient, which triples your mana when at the time, and even now like mana reflection still probably should be printed another time or two. Nyxborn ancient should definitely be printed. (laughs) So like at a certain point, the redundancy is like not beneficial. And I'm I'm not sure if we're there yet for this kind of effect. If it's like, Oh, wizards, please, please stop please stop doing this but i at this point i'm happy to see another one yeah 
if that and makes, one, if that answers that question. And I absolutely do. Ha- I I do have the opinion that you know, for particular high profile cards, I would rather see a reprint than a functional reprint. With regards to these draw X spells, while there are a few real outstanding exemplars, none of them are terribly expensive. Like Blue Sun Zenith, mm-hmm. like I said, is one of the most popular ones, and it's two bucks. Yeah, um, they printed the, the crap out of that card. <laughs> so this is kind of one of those effects where y- you almost want to see a critical mass of it before they start going into the reprint mode. And I don't know if we're quite there yet, if you think of it as like, oh, 10 is a critical mass, like you're 90% likely to see one in the first five turns or whatever. You know, we're not to that point with these X spells yet, I don't think, unless you count like the everybody draws X, which are a pretty different animal. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we can live with a couple more, but at a certain point, yes, it is going to be that I would rather see a reprint of Drowning Dreams than, you know, whatever weird variant they come up with next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, if we haven't yet reached a critical mass, I need to do some like quick research on this, but if we haven't yet reached one, I definitely don't think we need like, them to print the 11th and mm-hmm. for, for a couple of reasons like one they are still kind of limited in how many slots for new cards they have in these precons and if they are i mean if they're spending slots on effects we already have a critical mass of it's it's kind of a waste like you know we recently did a couple of episodes on effects that are, are really cool but don't have a critical mass and it would be amazing to see more cards printed in those in those areas so using these limited slots aimed specifically at commander to you know make things that happen that couldn't happen before instead of would be i think more beneficial to the format than here's another x draw spell but you know maybe we're not quite there yet and i it's possible i I don't need to complain quite just yet but I, i think there's just a lot more design space to be explored in blue and commander rather than just kind of going over this same type of card (laughs) three times in a row yeah i mean i will agree with you like i i don't think it's hurting the format i guess and i don't think it hurts to get more of these cards but i think they could help more by printing different cards (laughs) in these spaces Mm -hmm. um like this is just a very safe card for them to print and uh i get it don't want to break anything but at the same time like there's so many talented people in r&d like you, you could you could throw something like throw yeah. another zombie specific card at us or something like there's yeah. there's so much maybe what we're not seeing is that someone in r&d is looking to get their 10th x3 instant speed draw x <laughs> and uh once yeah. we get three more of them i think we're at seven right now yeah uh, then then we'll start seeing different designs it's funny, I'm going to make that point later on in this review episode, so <laughs> so hold on to your hats, everybody. Um, speaking, yeah, speaking of, of new X cards, can I read off this next one? Go ahead. So this is Empty the Laboratory. This is a blue sorcery. It costs X, blue, blue. It says, sacrifice X zombies, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a number of zombie creature cards equal to the number of zombies sacrificed this way. Put those cards onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, yeah, thoughts? Well, like any polymorph, 
this looks best when you know what you'll be hitting. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in everything tribal, all of your changelings are going to make that kind of hard. In a proper zombie deck, I suppose, if you end up with lots of 2-2 tokens, then most zombies that you flip into are going to be better, uh, even, even better if they're decayed tokens and weren't long for this world anyway. You know, the randomness of this kind of makes it kind of makes it tough. And I can't really think of a zombie that, you know, if you could animate a mute vault or something like that, one zombie would be enough to really wow you. I was really, really high on this, actually, when I first saw it. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And then I saw that it was a sorcery and was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay," And like fell pretty hard on it because if it was an instant speed like to turn like you're gonna wrath or something like you target my guy or whatever like that just gives you a lot more flexibility but uh, in this case it's it's not as flexible i do think it's actually pretty good i think that like a lot of the zombies that we have talked about in some of the earlier cards so let's say like cleaver scab we're talking about like noxious ghouls corpse connoisseurs custody liches these are all like four mana plus cards they're all zombies. A lot of the best zombies are three or more mana. So, like, if you just have like some tokens from uh, endless ranks of the dead or some decayed tokens or whatever, and you cast this for like let's say four, like you're definitely getting way more than six mana of creatures on the board. So, I I, I do think that that is good. I think that that is fine and good and and a cool thing about this card. But I don't think it's a powerhouse. <laughs> you know, I don't think this is necessarily going to like combo out for the win or something like that. Yeah, definitely more of a role player. Yeah, yeah. You, but, you but it's a really can. neat one. Like, I'm happy that this card exists and is like enhancing this narrow archetype. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Oh, yeah. The more sort of interesting effects that we get in narrow archetypes, the more decks sort of start to feel different from one another which you know is kind of one of the things that at least i'm looking for in the format so Mm -hmm. if i see an empty laboratory and someone turns their 13 tokens from endless ranks of the dead into 13 extremely exciting zombies uh that'll be pretty cool yeah like actual zombie cards yeah and imagine like uh what's the the noxious school or whatever and then 11 other (sighs) zombies like yeah out of nowhere like that's yeah, pretty ouch. cool. <laughs> That's pretty rad. One of the zombies could be this next card. Does someone want to read this guy? Sure. This is Hordewing Scob. It is four and a blue for a 3-3 three, three zombie horror with flying and other zombies you control have flying. And then whenever one or more zombies you control deals combat damage to one or more of your opponents... You may draw cards equal to the number of opponents dealt damage this way. If you do, discard that many cards. I think some people may look at this card and think like, oh, you know, looting, that's, this is kind of a, a, a pale imitator of like a um, reconnaissance mission effect or what's the name of that thing from C- C21 that was like a coastal piracy for tokens? Curiosity Crafter. It certainly doesn't that great compared to them but I, I think we've seen just playing with Farina for a couple of years that looting in zombie decks is a lot closer to drawing cards than it is in most decks because you have so much value out of your graveyard and, and ways to interact with your graveyard 
And I, I've really enjoyed Midnight Pathlighter from the AFR um, Venture Precon. That's the one that makes it so your creatures can't be blocked by non-legendary creatures. And whenever they... Uh, basically, for each player you hit during a combat, you get to venture into the dungeon. Just the, the ability to grant evasion and also get some sort of like marginal on-hit effect uh, is is really strong. And I am pretty high on this card in general. It's just a lot of things that add together to be powerful. I want to mention something, too, that is an interesting stat. So this actually I saw in a tweet by Kristen Gregory. Um, so Kristen Gregory had a tweet that uh, brought something up that was pretty interesting. So Wonder is in 24% of zombie decks. Um, so this might be a case of R&D looking at like what people were playing and making a card that fits into that space. But this could also be a case of like R&D playing with zombies and going, you know what would make these zombies really great? Flying. <laughs> and yeah. printing a card that does that that way instead. So it's kind of hard to tell what came first like in the chicken or egg thing here but um i do think that is interesting that this does kind of mirror that same gameplay that like wonder will have you're like here's my team and now they fly yeah Um, that's interesting to hear that wonder is so popular in zombie decks i mean it's like nick said you know we kind of know that looting is synergistic with what zombies are doing um and looting a wonder you know, that's a big brain move for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in my experience, you know, playing against zombies, they tend to be real large. They have a lot of lords. Their default token is a 2-2. Two, two. The thing that they have trouble with is they're not in colors for trample. So they just really need like any evasion ability mm-hmm. that is in color. And flying is a pretty good one. You know, like you might lose a zombie or two to a dragon or whatever. But for the most part, they're going to bust through you know, small flying tokens and not really mind. Uh, And in the meantime, you've just moved right past those token swarms that have been getting in the way of your like five, four tokens. I mean, there's a reason that like cover of darkness is as popular a card, you know, like you, like you're saying black has a mm, black doesn't have a lot of options when it comes to evasion. Blue a little bit more, like the Wonder is definitely part of that, but the type of effect that Cover of Darkness gives is pretty unique in its color. So I think they either need to just reprint that card or print more like it. <laughs> like, yeah, here's hoping that we see it in the Vampire Precon in the next set, because I know it's, I mean, it's perfect for a tribal set, you know, set on Innistrad, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre it's not in the zombie list, so hopefully we'll see it soon. Yeah, Fingers maybe crossed. they forgot about it. Who knows? But yeah, no, the the evasion, I think Hordewing Scab was good. Good for the zombie decks. I think it's cool. Uh, I think if you hit it off of Empty the Laboratory, you're going to feel great. It's going to feel <laughs> it's going to feel real good. This next one, I have no idea what to think about. Does, does someone want to read read it off? Uh, sure. Uh, this next one is Shadowkin. Three and a blue for a 2-2 creature shapeshifter with flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player mills three cards. You may exile a creature card from among the cards milled this way. If you do, Shadowkin becomes a copy of that card, except it has this ability. I'm not in love with this design. Uh, like I, I love clones, but this doesn't work particularly well 
in the the situations that clones are best in like you can't combo with it as easily because it you have to wait until your upkeep to copy something and it's based on what gets randomly milled and i i don't know i'm not really high on this card like they they seem to put a lot of like random value cards in precons i guess because they're fun but it just makes it so that they're a bit harder to break but what do you think about shadowkin i almost feel like text is missing from the card um <laughs> like it has flash okay and then it has an upkeep trigger it's not it's not like this is going to be a removal magnet while it's a two two they don't even know what it's going to become yet it might become nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> um like you're probably paying extra for this flash, but it just doesn't seem like you really even want it. So that's real puzzling. Uh, also, the fact that it exiles the creature that you hit, it's in a, it comes in a zombie deck, and exiling zombies is kind of a nombo. You don't want to see your real zombies get exiled so that they're gone forever. Like You can keep the zombies around basically indefinitely if you're piloting your zombie deck cautiously at all. It almost just seems like they forgot to add, you know, when this enters the battlefield or at the beginning of your upkeep or something. Yeah, what this like really makes me think of is like the <laughs> maybe if you're like playgroup plays with a lot of like top of library tutors, then this is like some sick tech for your playgroup. But like yeah. anyone else, this Good. isn't really going to do anything for but you. Even, but even then it needs to get to your upkeep before it gets to their draw step. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. what kind of situation are they in that they're vamp tutoring, you know, before the end step, before their draw step? That's true. Even if you flash it in, it doesn't really matter, huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is, again, like, this whole card just seems like it's missing, like, a line of text. So, yeah, something is not there. So, yeah, definitely not not super feeling this. <laughs> yeah. This is just a four mana lackluster card. So, oops. Do you know it's not a four mana lackluster card? Ooh, I do. Is it Crowded Crypt? It sure is. Do you want to do you want to read it off? Yeah, Crowded Crypt is two and a black for an artifact. It has tap, add black. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a corpse counter on Crowded Crypt. It's a bit of a tongue twister. And four black black tap, sacrifice Crowded Crypt. Create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decayed for each corpse counter on Crowded Crypt. Okay. I'm saying that ten times fast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like many of the other cards we've seen, this seems pretty good for aristocrats. Yeah, definitely good for aristocrats. I think that's kind of enough for this card. You know, like, it's a three-mana mana rock that eventually you cash in for, like, a decent amount of bodies. and. I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I hate that it like costs so much mana to activate it. Like compared to something like Midnight Clock, where yeah, it's a three mana mana rock, but you don't really have to do anything to it because in and in three turns it'll draw you seven cards. Like that's kind of going to be my baseline for these three mana rocks with upside. Like yeah, I'm I'm sure this can like garner a lot of counters, but your deck definitely has to be one that can make use of the decayed tokens, which isn't a huge chunk of the format. Definitely, as you mentioned, works in Aristocrats, but I don't think this is going to see a huge amount of adoption, and I don't, definitely don't like it as much as Midnight Clock. 
Yeah, I could see because that first trigger uh, plays nicely with Tesa Karlov, you, you get twice as many corpse counters. Um, I could see that as kind of a tool to punish wraths. Um, so if a lot of creatures you do care about die, at least you can crack the crypt, make like an army of decayed tokens and punish the person who blew up your board real bad. Um, <laughs> and then in Chatterfang, it seems interesting since it's sort of a recovery in a box. Uh, at each decayed token will also make a squirrel. Um, so you can, you know, if you get Wrath, you play Chatterfang, you crack the crypt, and now you have an army again. The big thing that I'm excited about with this card is that I want them to keep making these three mana, mana rocks. I think, like, one of the benefits of Eternal Spoiler Season of infinite new cards is that it's distracting, that people will see things and get excited and forget that five-color control into combo finish is the best deck in the format. Huh. And... um the more three mana rocks that people want to play in like lieu of the two mana rocks that are probably better. I, I think that's great. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's just going to be a good time. So yeah, I, I don't think this is the best three mana rock. I think you can get some decent value out of it, but I'm just happy they're distracting people with them. You know, I'm, I'm if they print a three mana rock that does something else in every pre-con from now on, I would be totally happy with that. I'll echo that. I mean, I think I would rather see like a near miss three mana rock than like another arcane signet any day of the week. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Can I read off this next card? Sure. Go ahead. I don't think. Well, actually, there probably is a decent amount to say about it. This is Curse of the Restless Dead. This is a two mana curse. Uh, it's an aura, as you might guess. Costs two and a black. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under enchanted player's control, you create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decayed. Wow. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. I, I really like this design. Um, if you put it on yourself, it's just kind of like a blood gas that you can save up. Of course, I'm a huge fan of blood gas. I, I think it's yeah just a great addition to sacrifice decks. Decks that are looking for a lot of sack fodder. Um, it's one of the easier ones to make work you don't have to pump additional mana into it and of course it's you know you're going to run it in your lind deck and uh yeah i I think it's just a great addition to the format yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely i think that sums up the card quite nicely yeah someone want to read the next card sure this is ghoul's night out which is three black black for a sorcery for each player Choose a creature card in that player's graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. They're black zombies in addition to their other colors and types, and they gain decayed. So I've been paying attention to cards like this lately. Um, They just combine really well with things like Eternal Witness or Archaeomancer, just any creature that enters the battlefield and gets back a spell from your graveyard. Because it it just kind of creates its own engine, uh, especially since you can then attack with your Archaeomancer, it gets sacrificed because of Decayed, and it's back in the yard for you to target it with Ghoul's Knight out once more. So it's it's just like a an, a good engine for getting a bunch of creatures onto the battlefield under your control. It does kind of require that like the creatures you're getting back be useful outside of like attacking and blocking. So, like, you know, if your meta has a lot of ETB creatures, this gains a lot of value. If your meta is just 
like big fat or something, then uh, maybe not so much. But what do you all think about Ghoul's Night Out? I tend to be averse to effects like this where they are meta dependent like that. Um, I kind of prefer to know what my cards are going to do before I play them. Um, and I, I would feel a little better about the risk if maybe this was an instant or the mana cost was a little lower. Uh, as it is, I probably won't go for it, but I can definitely see that there are I wouldn't say situations, but environments where this card could do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm pretty into this card. I think like me and Nick both either messaged a group chat or something like that about how like this is kind of rad. I, I've wanted a card like this to exist for a while just to work with Archaeomancers or Ardent Elementalists as are in the new set that can get back instants and sorceries from your graveyard. So you kind of like make a loop um, as you are like casting the spell like you get back your ardent elementalist you steal something from everyone else get this back can do it all over again and this is even better for that kind of strategy just because of the decayed so that's cool like you can just attack get your ardent elementalist back in the grave and no problems there kind of one kind of nice thing about it right is even if the creatures you're getting back are worthless if you can at least count on each opponent having a creature Mm -hmm. Um, when you get into those yeah when you get into those archaeomancer situations the floor on this starts to be like you pay five mana to have four reassembling skeleton activations you know and that's a decent rate like people play reassembling skeleton yeah so i'm pretty into this card like that is pretty much exactly what i've i've wanted to do that for a really long time this card lets me do that so i probably will end up playing it i think if you're just playing it as like a five mana spell you uh you're not not a gonna do too well there's other cards that already do that yeah Um, yeah although if you get back like four hate bears with this that that could be pretty good in any meta again i think it's meta dependent (laughs) if you're not on that you know e-witness archaeomancer kind of plan (laughs) if you're playing if you get back four hate bears like i'm so sorry for the game that you're in the middle of (laughs) (laughs) every player is playing hate bears that's yeah that's fun fair magic right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. the way garfield intended oh yeah (laughs) Um, do we want to talk about this next card? This is kind of the opposite. Oh, uh, this yeah, I would say this is the opposite of a hate bear. <laughs> uh, I'll yeah. read this one off. This is Prowling Geist Catcher. Three and a black for a 2-4 creature human rogue. Whenever you sacrifice another creature, exile it. If that creature was a token, put a plus one plus one counter on Prowling Geist Catcher. And then when Prowling Geist Catcher leaves the battlefield, return each card exiled with it to the battlefield under your control. So this... Uh, Works pretty well with reanimation loops, uh, like with Karmic Guide, Revelark, Safi, Angel of Glory's Rise. Um, there's just a bunch of creatures that ETB and reanimate something. And so what you can do is, like, you have both of those creatures on the battlefield. You sacrifice your Karmic Guide. It goes under the Geist Catcher. You sacrifice the Geist Catcher. Uh, the Karmic Guide returns to the battlefield. It brings back the Geist Catcher. You're exactly where you've started, except you've gained whatever your sack outlet generates. So there's, of course, plenty of good sacrifice outlets in black uh, and a lot of ways to turn that loop into a win. So I, I love seeing cards like this, um, and I'm very happy to see this printed. And I would I would pick up a handful of these, I think. Yeah, this mm-hmm. seems like it has pretty broad applications. Uh, the fact that it's a leaves the battlefield trigger is pretty great. Um, oh, yeah. 
you might expect a card like this to say dies, and instead we, we get what we wanted, which is to say our creatures are actually safe and we are actually going to get them back. And in commanders where you sort of have on-demand sacrifice, so like uh, Ailey Eternal Pilgrim or like Bantu the Glorified, where, you know, in the face of removal, you can just, no, I'll sack it. Um, and you have sort of the guarantee sitting in the command zone that you'll have that access every game. This seems just even like a decent piece for value and, uh, you know, keeping your board presence safe. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those, like, commander cards. There's always a card in a commander precon that, like, someone finds a use for, whether in commander or in, like, internal format, and then it goes way up. I think this is just going to be one of the ones that like is like twelve dollars this time next year, because <laughs> it, it as you said it works with so many cards, and it does what it does so efficiently with the leaves trigger that uh, yeah I expect this to be pretty heavily played. And the fact that even tokens give you a consolation prize like they really just made sure that every box was checked on this thing. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, can I read off this next card? Yeah. So this is ravenous rot belly. This is a 4-5 zombie horror for 5 mana, 4 and a black. It has, when Ravenous Rotbelly enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice up to 3 zombies. When you sacrifice 1 or more zombies this way, each opponent sacrifices that many creatures. So, <laughs> basically like, super fleshbag marauder. <laughs> yeah. It can sacrifice itself, uh, and wow, this is like one of the best fates a decayed zombie could ever hope for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, die for me so that they may also suffer. It's great. It has great Niels Ham art. I don't know if you're playing a zombie list, if you make a lot of zombie tokens, this is great. <laughs> I don't I don't really have much to say about it. I, I, w I don't think I would play it outside of like a deck that can make a lot of zombies. Yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah, three flesh bags, you know, that looks a lot like a wrath on most boards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty good. All right, uh, I can read this next one off. This is Tomb Tyrant. Three and a black for a 3-3 three, three creature zombie noble. Other zombies you control get plus and plus one. Two black, tap, sacrifice a creature, return a zombie creature card at random from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only during your turn and only if there are at least three zombie creature cards in your graveyard. How do you feel about this card? Not great. Um, it's a lord, so it's, you know, diving onto the pile of lords that we have for zombies, but uh, four mana for an anthem, not not the best. And uh, <laughs> they are really reserved with that second ability. Um, sacking a creature... Uh, making the target random, putting the oversold cemetery rider, putting the timing restriction. Like we have Lord of the Undead already. You're yeah. you're gonna make me work this hard to return a zombie when zombies are like the tribe of returning. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this kind of feels like a a kind of a missed opportunity for like an actual cool zombie card. Yeah, there are ways to cheat it. You could like have a Phyrexian Reclamation and then like activate it and then like get the two other zombies to your hand in response. But like that's just seven mana and a bunch of life at that point. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's Christmas land really. <laughs> like, yeah. let's be honest, <laughs> <laughs> like exactly three zombies in your graveyard and a Phyrexian Reclamation and a Tomb Tyrant and a zombie you don't mind sacrificing or a non-zombie creature you don't mind sacrificing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 
Uh, also not in love with this card. Yeah. Well, that's great because there's a whole other deck to talk about. All right. Um, uh, what's the face card of the green white human deck? Uh, <laughs> so this is, I'm going to go with Lenore. Uh, so Lenore Autumn Sovereign is a zero four human noble for four mana to green white. Oh, why wasn't she a witch? Um, but she has Coven. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature you control. Then if you control three or more creatures with different powers, draw a card. So uh, this is coming. This is going to wreck every commander knight now, right? <laughs> this is absolutely bonkers, right? Right. This is a pretty weak reward for committing a bunch of creatures to the board. Um, yeah. <laughs> like... One free counter and maybe one card per turn is not a really compelling commander. Um, I actually think the other the other green white human in this precon is a lot more interest or a lot more powerful and splashy as a commander. So I don't really know why they went with this design to convince you to buy the decks. But um, yeah, not, not in love with this. Yeah, this card is green. Like, you can draw cards so efficiently in one of this card's colors. If it had been mono-white, I could see, like, working this hard to draw a single card. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, as it stands, this thing looks like a... Like, this reads like a limited bomb. It doesn't read like a commander as it is written now. Oh, It reads like the kind of card you play it in limited and, like, wow, every turn I get a counter and a card and I have this huge 0-4. But, you know, I... Like you said, I think the other card, the other commander we're about to talk about is a lot more compelling. I will say, kind of in this card's favor, having zero power and having that be an upside is definitely interesting space. I think there are other cards that we'll talk about later that execute on that idea better. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that, you know, it appears here is noteworthy and interesting. And as kind of my final parting thought, my parting shot for Lenore here, uh, it really is a shame that White's not getting any of those extra combat spells uh, that supposedly they are allowed. Yeah, yeah. In our interview with Arinia, the White member of the Council of Colors, he said that that is no longer really in White's color pie, so combat triggers yeah. don't really matter that much uh, in White, unfortunately. Shame that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a bummer. I just, I really hope that if we see Coven again, that they pump the power up. I think it's so flavorful and cool that they could have done a lot with it, and instead we got Lenore. <laughs> so kind of bummed. Um, there's some more cards that are like Coven variants in we're about to talk about, but don't specifically say Coven that I also think are cool and uh, underpowered. So I don't know what they were afraid of this time, but definitely yeah. something. There are a couple Coven cards, I think, in the Commander set here that uh, I think they have their their use, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to them. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get to them. So, I guess um, should I can I, can I read this next uh, Commander off? Sure, please do. So this one's a lot easier to say his name. This is Kyler Sigardian Emissary. This is a two-two human cleric for five mana, three green white. They have whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Kyler. Other humans you control get plus one plus one for each counter on Kyler. This is an incredibly powerful anthem. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. 
I'm I'm really impressed with this card, and it's it's funny how close this is to what Alex said he wanted out of Intrepid Adversary when we were doing the main set review. Um, yeah, this is pretty thrilling. Um, honestly, this is kind of everything you could want. Um, I at first I was surprised we weren't seeing like a Champion of the Parish callback somewhere on this card, but as I went through all the humans, I realized that there are a whole bunch of humans with this rules text. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. It is just such a potent, potent ability that this card has going on. Um, the new token generator, Adeline, just goes really crazy with Kyler. You, you attack, you make three guys. Kyler gets three more counters. All the tokens are suddenly plus three, plus three larger. And, you know, humans are one of those creature types that they just kind of stick on stuff, like mm-hmm. when they've got nothing better to call it. <laughs> so you have like, removal on creatures with like giant hunter intrepid hero bounty agent the new uh cathar commando or druid of purification like you can run all these aggro pieces that also keep your removal density pretty reasonable and when you compare this to say janira kudro or some of the other um, red white black human commanders um you pick up some real interesting stuff like you get uh the original sise or yison which mm-hmm. both are very, very good card selection, card advantage kind of hybrids that you can tap into. So uh, a, door, a door of destinies that is even more flexible, that plays nicely with all the human token generation, it, it just stands to create very powerful board positions. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, even better than door of destinies, like it, the fact that it triggers off your tokens entering, so fantastic. Yeah. I want to briefly revisit the comparison you made to Jarena Kudrow. Um, like I, I built Jarena Kudrow and the direction I tried to take it was just like utility humans in these colors. And then my commander is an anthem that can kind of turn them into a, a fighting force. And what I found was like the fact that it doesn't pump toughness just leads them to be really fragile. Like it's, it's not awesome when you're, uh, I don't know, 2-2 two, two bounty agent becomes a 4-2 and then still can't attack profitably because your opponents just have like zombie tokens or whatever. Yeah, they start to look like decayed tokens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, Kyler's, uh, or rather, Jarena's anthem just pales in comparison to what Kyler's able to do. So I I love that you can just play those good humans like you mentioned, uh, Cathar Commando, Druid of Purification, and have them be real threats that you can safely throw into combat. Yeah. If I were picking up this precon, probably the first thing I would do is just retool. You can keep the Coven stuff that is also like human-related, but the first thing I would do is retool it to put Kyler at the helm. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kyler's really cool, and I, <laughs> I can I read off this next card? Because I love the art on him. I just We'll get into him, I guess. As we read. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kerbis Harvest Celebrant. This is a tree folk, a zero zero for X green green. And when he enters the battlefield, uh, he enters with a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the amount spent to cast it. So um, kind of using some of that cool commander taxi tech there. Remove a plus one plus one counter from Kerbis. Prevent all damage that would be dealt this turn to another target creature with a plus one plus one counter on it. Hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on here? 
Well, uh, Kerbis is kind of a fun name to say, I guess. Uh, yeah. We'll start with something nice. He's got a cool little gourd <laughs> head. I love him. But also, love what am I going to do with him? Yeah. Um. So as far as I can sort of puzzle out from this, I think the only proactive use that this can be put to is fighting. But the the original Ronus, the indestructible death-touching Ronus, uh, is pretty much like already sort of the best, the beginning and end of fighting commanders as mm -hmm. far as Mono Green is concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't really know that we need more in that space. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing is like, I think fighting would be, or like force block is be where I'd go with this guy. And the force block cards are always worse than they look. Like they look like, oh, cool, I get a guy. And then you play with them and it's just like, oh, I got their like plant token. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's never as good as you want it to be. They haven't printed something on the level of provoke since provoke and provoke yeah. was stupid, so they just <laughs> haven't. Yeah. Like, well, and and you just have to give it at such a generous rate because the fight cards really are quite aggressive. Like there are punch mm -hmm. cards that are two mana. Yeah. So a force block card, like it probably could just be zero and have like a green identity dot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really, what I was thinking is this guy is more of a role player than a leader. You're probably gonna put it in like. Um, X mana decks, I, I would imagine that you could put this in your like red green decks that run like earthquake effects and stuff like that. Save your board, Kerbis like takes care of the party so they can all swing in uh, after the big flaming wave of death rolls over, you know, as as parties are wont to do. So not really sure if he's super powerful at the helm, but definitely could could be good somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> This is so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely like as as one of the legendary creatures in the deck, it's like so puzzling. Yeah, I don't understand why they would like print this at legendary if it's not going to be good at the helm of a deck. It's just like a trap. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's in conversation with the face commander, which is probably their justification. But the face commander being in conversation with the face commander just is not. Uh, is not enough <laughs> yeah I, I mean really like the only thing this had to do is interact with plus and plus one counters in some way and i i got to imagine that there's some design space within white or green that involves plus and plus one counters that is better than this well, not so fast <laughs> it can fill any part of a coven range okay true mm -hmm. so, so it's it's interacting on both axes of the card See, that would have been really cool if, like, if I wanted to trigger Lenore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, if Lenore yeah. made me go, like, hmm, this is such a good reward, then I would have been like, oh, it's really fun to put in these, like, stone coil serpents. But e e Yeah, but, like, the, the main thing you do with the card, aside from triggering Coven, is just, like, this activated ability. And that could have done anything. And instead, they had it kind of do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, hey, the fact that it has to hit something with a plus one plus one counter on it already is really bumming me out too. Yeah, like uh, if it just was like prevent damage to a thing, I would have been like, okay, nice. But it's like you even have to put more work in, which is too much work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's too many things. Yeah, well, they could have had it go the other direction. I mean, realistically, right? Like it, if it's gonna come in with as many counters as you spend to cast it, like you could have just made it like a vigor or something and have it be like six. 
mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, oh, prevent all damage that would be dealt to all your creatures and then put a counter on them. And you're like, oh, great, counters, like, getting very perfect. But this is, I mean, this is essentially the Commander Recon's Contortionist Troop, yeah. which, Contortionist cr- Troop, pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, but not in Commander. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would this be, uh, never mind, probably too good. I, I was thinking, like, what it could be that isn't, like, you know, remove a counter, make a token, because that's also been done to death in green. Yeah. And then my my next thought was like untapping a land, but then that's just a pretty much a single card combo with like Lotus Field. I really think that if it didn't have to target something with a plus one plus one counter on it, or like it put a plus one plus one counter on something and prevented damage to it, you can only do this once a turn. Like that would have been fine because then it's like distributing plus one plus one counters. It works in those decks as like an enabler and then also protects them for fighting like i think that could have been like interesting or cool i I don't think that would have been too bad because you'd need the fight spell and another creature and then kerbis you know i will say kind of the conclusion that i have sort of come to with a lot of these x commanders that are as big as the mana you cast them is it seems like they overlook the fact that they can have the base cost be whatever they want you know, they can just, oh, ha- they could have had this be like green, 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 2x, and then put like whatever crazy ability they want because you can't do it before turn six anyway. Yeah. You know, and like it still does the cute thing where it quote unquote cheats the command tax. So, it, you know, in the future, if we're going to get like these Kerbis, like Gargos kind of commanders, like maybe just make it so that what it's doing is like exciting enough that the like a good example is like prosh prosh yeah. does enough that mm-hmm. you're excited to just cast the base version you you know it doesn't have to be more than the six base mana it's still exciting that's a good point on that disappointing note we can get into the main deck cards yeah sure. let's do that <laughs> well this first one is celestial judgment it is a six mana sorcery for white white for each different power among creatures on the battlefield choose a creature with that power so you just pick them destroy each creature not chosen that way <laughs> so you go you and you and you and you and then everyone else blows up yep right up the stack there's mm-hmm. my one there's my two there's my mm-hmm. four there's my there's zero my six. yeah there you are bud mm-hmm this is just replacing Wrath of God in every white deck, right? Uh, <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> no. I mean, if you're on the Coven plan, you might be able to choke out a pretty decent number of different powers. They costed this as though it is a one-sided Wrath. This is costed mm-hmm. similarly to like Austere Command, where the assumption is you are going to blow out your opponent and be completely unharmed. The problem is the reality of the situation is that you have to commit a ton of resources to the board to make this one-sided because you need to account for every number, essentially. And even then, you're still not going to hit all the Voltrons because Voltrons end up at like crazy high random numbers from whatever swords they're holding. So like (laughs) Ural is going to be like a (laughs) 1919. Good luck putting together a 19 to like cover Ural. Mm-hmm. no that's such a good point that's really why i don't like this is that if you are running a six mana wrath in your list and also running creatures like 
usually I run an austere command to do exactly what you said. Like, keep my creatures, destroy your creatures and like the artifacts or something like that, and then keep on moving. Um, same is true with like dawn to dusk, you know, the aftermath card. Like, I keep my little guys, blow up your big guys, I get to attack. There's so many white wraths that do that kind of thing, right? That yeah. that save a certain type of thing. The problem with Celestial Judgment is that you might have like your 2-1 druid that taps for a mana of any color and your 0-3 druid that taps for a mana of any color and like your commander that's like a 4-4 currently or something like that. But then your opponent will have a 1 and they'll have like a 3 and they'll have a 5 and then yeah like you said earl might be like a 17 and the omnath mono green omnath across the table is going to be like a 62 and yeah. you're going to every be like, titan every eldrazi titan yeah. is going to be <laughs> its own you know yeah so like you're missing most of the things you wanted to hit when you cast this because it is unless you have just like you're in a position where you have like a cathars crusade and a huge board with like one two three four five six seven all the way up on your tokens there's no way to make sure you're going to hit what you want to hit. Um, and if you have a Cathar's Crusade with that many tokens, then you probably should just be winning. <laughs> yeah, and you don't need your Celestial Judgment. That's where I'm at with the card. I was thinking like, well, I mean, A, as you mentioned, like unless your deck is specifically geared to achieve this, this weird staircase of powers, you're not going to want to run this card. And then even if you are, like if you have you know, one through seven, you should just be turning sideways. Like, do you really need to be the wrath in that case? Is that really what your, your deck is looking for? Because like, I would, I would be more, I feel like your opponent's random creatures when you have like an insane aggro board is less of a problem for you, your like win and, and your strategy than your opponent's wraths. Like I would be more, interested in having this be like a teferi's protection or uh mm, something true. similar to protect my guys from my opponent's wraths yeah i will but, say as someone who had like annoying darlis though that like when you cast a wrath that only hits their creatures like you just win <laughs> you know like like you screw up their board like I, I can see what they're thinking the high end on this is like not to cut you off so mm-hmm. but I just don't think this ever is going to hit that high end. And I think that like a a pretty good form of creature removal is having so much power that they're forced to chump block. Yeah, yeah, I mean I think the I think the core problem of the card really it comes down to the fact that this is costed, like it's always a one-sided board wipe when really it it probably should be costed for the floor of the card. The floor mm-hmm. is going to be much more common than the ceiling yeah mm-hmm. yeah so down on this card um this next one though is really interesting can i read it off and then mm-hmm. you can get yeah. into it so this is curse of conformity this is a five mana curse it is four and a white enchant player non-legendary creatures enchanted player controls have base power and toughness three three and lose all creature types so yeah there's a lot I think you could say about this card. I'm kind of with two minds on this card. Losing types isn't the end of the world for a lot of creatures. Mm -hmm. And while a 3-3 is smaller than a lot of creatures, it is larger than most tokens. So in that context, it's not going to help you very much. I would feel like that's less of a problem if the card weren't white. 
But with white, you don't really get to pick as much, like what you choose to use to solve mm -hmm. particular problems. So an answer that, you know, is actively worse in some situations than, than what you're already dealing with isn't thrilling. Uh, I guess yeah. on the flip side, though, you could potentially use this as sort of an anthem if you are the one who is using lots of tokens that don't care about their type. You know, in that context, you could think about using it to shrink your opponent's board, but, you know, you'd be on the main plan of bump, pumping up your own board instead. That, that's kind of where I'm at with the card. I think that, like, if you're running mono white tokens and you're able to effectively poop out a, a ton of guys, this could just be, like, you know, maybe you're, like, fourth or fifth or sixth choice of anthem like you're not going to run it over you're not going to run it over dictative heliod you're not going to run it over cathars crusade but there is a point where like you're you're just trying to like fill out your critical mass and make sure you get both halves of the big token generator and anthem combo on like on a regular basis so i could see you running it there and it is really nice that it says non-legendary so that like, you know, your Elish Norn or your Gisal Goldman, or I guess your, um, what's her face? The Adeline uh, is not going to be affected by, by this curse on yourself. Yeah. And I think we will see at least a little bit of use. Um, Harmonious Archon is kind of similar where it makes all non-Archon creatures three threes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and that sees some use in uh, token decks, even token decks that include green. Um, so, you know, it might, it might see some adoption for that use. I can read off this next card. It is Moorland Rescuer. Five and a white for a 4-4 four, four creature human knight. When it dies, return any number of other creature cards with total power X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is Moorland Rescuer's power. Exile Moorland Rescuer. Uh, I, I hate that... <laughs> I hate so that. Yeah, I know the the. I hate that like black gets this you know perfect card for sacrifice loops in its precon, and white gets one that is like more expensive and oh exiles itself. So no, you can't actually <laughs> combo with this. If we're designing for a commander power level, why do you need to gimp the white version? Yeah, just kind of like taking the taking the legs out from under it. Yeah, most white cards can't even recur this. It's it's mm -hmm. too expensive and too large. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just sad. There's definitely like ways to possibly combo with it, but I don't why. It's like at a, at this point it's like the amount of effort that you put into making your Moreland rescuer go infinite is you could have just gone infinite with like a Safiaric's daughter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like not worth it. You can put this together with a Kikijiki and like, you know, Kikijiki makes the token, uh, makes a token copy of it. You sack the Kikijiki, then you sack the token copy, get back your Kikijiki and you're back where you started. But yeah, you're, you're right. That's a lot of effort. And, you know, in terms of like white cards that go infinite with Kikijiki, this is pretty far down the rankings. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the worst thing about this is even if you whiff, you still exile it. <laughs> yeah, like you can't even you can't even just choose not to and try again later. Mm -hmm. It's so painful. Yeah, it sucks. Um, well, do we want to move on to this next card? Yeah, let's move on, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sigarda's Vanguard. This is a three-three angel for five mana, four and a white. 
It has flash and flying. Whenever Sagarda's vanguard enters the battlefield or attacks, choose any number of creatures with different powers. Those creatures gain double strike until end of turn. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I like Flash on this a lot more than I did on that whatever that clone was doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> double strike enablers tend to actually be lightning rods that you want to kill, unlike uh, two twos that might do nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, flashing this in um, and hey, surprise! Three of my creatures have double strike. Uh, we can actually you know help you out um, and keep keep attention off of your creatures for mm-hmm. at least long enough to make them do their thing. Well, this also, unlike the four drop clone ish thing, does something as soon as it enters the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, you know? uh, unlike waiting till your upkeep, even though it has flash. So, um, the one thing I want to say is like this seems still kind of weak as far as like double strike enablers go, or even like flash angels go. But I'm I'm really tired. Like, there's been so many decks I've wanted to play like Restoration Angel. I'm like, wow, this deck would be really good. And then it's like a third of my ETB creatures are actually just angels themselves or like work uh, with that or s- cards I would want to save. Uh, and so they just got to let's just not print an angel with a good ETB for a little bit. Let's put the ETBs on other creatures like like you have been doing, you know, Priest of Ancient Lore. Great job, Wizards. Uh, let's Let's keep that up. No more angels with ETBs for a bit. <laughs> I, I'm still so trolled by, like, right after Restoration Angel got printed, uh, I put it in a deck with Karmic Guide, but the original Urza's Legacy copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh. it just says Summon Spirit. And then someone pointed out to me, isn't that an angel? And I, like, looked at the errata and realized my combo didn't work and just mm-hmm. scooped out of shame. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, it's so sad. But yeah, they just yeah. keep doing that. They keep printing angels with good ETBs, and it's like that's great. But like now, I don't get to play with this other angel that I've been sitting on for like almost ten years. <laughs> that's sort of just the shameful legacy, I guess, of Restoration Angel trying to do something cute. Yeah, it could have just said other creature. Yeah, but yeah. what are you gonna do? Yeah, I think they were trying to prevent it so that you could like have two restos just like jacking each other off but uh <laughs> uh unfortunately it's had consequences on gameplay yeah who would have thought um this next card can i get into this guy because we're actually pretty close to being done with the yeah this, the decks. this is stalwart Pathlighter. this is a three one with vigilance they're a human soldier for three mana two and a white they have coven at the beginning of combat on your turn if you control three or more creatures with different powers, creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's how That's I feel. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, it's sort of like a frontline medic with pseudo haste. Noteworthy thing about all these coven creatures, they don't actually need to attack. Uh, so unlike frontline medic, which the battalion trigger requires it to attack, mm-hmm. uh, with stalwart pathlighter, you can just play it and then give your team indestructible and swing in with impunity. It seems like a fine human. It seems like a fine yeah. soldier. Not that that really means anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, actually, I, I actually think this card is like fine. You know, like yeah. the fact that you don't have to attack with it, it and still it will trigger. Um, that actually makes me pretty high on this card. Like, yeah, 
can kind of attack with impunity when you got just like a decent board and that is great i love doing that uh-huh. yeah it's, there's definitely some fun things you can do if you're somehow like a deck that runs enough creatures to achieve coven and also has board wipes you know you can in your second main phase uh you can just make your your wrath of god one-sided or whatever maybe this maybe like maybe in like an Audric deck i guess well like i said there are certain commanders that hit coven pretty reliably so like mile the anima is two of mm-hmm. the five drops mile like heals onto the table are four or five or more so with you know this and mile and something that mile got you're at coven right there mm-hmm. and and those creatures will probably be big enough that you will actually want to wrath yeah that's a good point yeah uh, you want to move on to this next this next one there's a lot to talk about <laughs> oh yeah Oh yeah, like how it's a better version of the face commander. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, I'll read it off. Uh, this is Wall of Morning. It's one in a white for a zero four creature wall with defender. When it enters the battlefield, exile a card from the top of your library face down for each opponent you have, and then Coven at the beginning of your end step. If you control three or more creatures with different powers, put a card exiled with Wall of Morning into its owner's hand. So. I gotta ask, like, shouldn't this cost twice as much and be like a mythic legend? <laughs> what, what are they doing? Well, you this only is... get one per precon, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's they not following their own rules here, huh? Yeah. Um. Wow. Uh, white does not have very many uh, concentrates. Um. Mm. So the fact that this little two mana wall can capture three cards worth of card advantage. Uh, I'm that's impressive. Uh, like I said, with Lenore, uh, having zero power is a really big step in the right direction uh, for assembling a coven. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of as we discussed just a moment ago, uh, certain commanders can assemble the other two parts of a coven quite easily. So, like God Eternal Oketra is a different size than the four four zombies that it creates. Uh, so you can quite reliably assemble a coven with this wall on board and you know index like oketra you'll often be bouncing your creatures so you can try and capture even more than three cards another couple of commanders that are kind of in that same vein like uh darian makes tokens a different size than himself Mm -hmm. so there are definitely commanders that will be able to capture uh this card advantage Mm -hmm. definitely um and i i love that it's you know, it's only two mana value. It has zero power. So it slots very easily into a lot of the white reanimation we've seen lately that's like mana value based. And if it also just slots well into the white blink effects that we've seen lately, like with teleportation circle. So this is just a, a great little thing to to enable white to get more value, especially in like white decks with lots of just cheap value creatures. It's so reasonable to imagine a game where you go like you know turn one esper sentinel turn two this turn three skyclave apparition and just naturally get your coven and start drawing cards yeah yeah no, and I'm, I'm uh, it, is, it is kind of crazy i mean this thing the pre-order on this is not even a buck like i don't know i i think this card is a lot better than than you would expect for mm-hmm. what it's being 
what is being asked for it at this point. Yeah, this is definitely a sleeper for sure. So this next card is also kind of an interesting coven take. This is Celebrate the Harvest. This is a green sorcery for four mana, three and a green. Search your library for up to X basic land cards, where X is the number of different powers among creatures you control. Put those cards onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Yeah, I mean, this seems fine. (laughs) This seems Uh, like incredibly middle of the road. This seems like most of the time you might be able to make it more than explosive vegetation, but most, I would say like 50% of the time this is explosive vegetation and a little, like maybe more than, maybe 60% and then 40% it's better than that. I mean, what about when it's worse? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, because we have alternatives that care about creatures in other ways and do basically the same thing. So the first card I thought of was Harvest Season, which is less mana to start with. Uh, And Harvest Season plays nicely with tokens, which, again, this is a recurring theme throughout the discussion of Coven. Coven just Mm -hmm. doesn't play nicely with tokens. Like assembling a coven, it's not that easy. Making this better than explosive vegetation just doesn't doesn't seem worth it to me. I would rather just have an explosive vegetation with upside, which we do have, and have it be a reliable card. Mm-hmm. A card I thought of uh, when we were just looking for points of comparison for Celebrate the Harvest is Traverse the Outlands. So Traverse the Outlands is... Um, four and a green for a sorcery search your library for up to x basic land cards where x is the greatest power among creatures you control put those onto the battlefield tapped and shuffle your library i mean if you're doing celebrate the harvest for a large value you probably have at least one creature that's really big and you got to ask yourself like why not just rather than like spending a whole bunch of turns assembling like this staircase of powers uh why not just play the biggest creature and then play traverse the outlands and get and just get my value then or, or just like put all my counters on the same guy and then traverse the outlands instead of well, it, distributing them the way like, well sorry go ahead yeah i mean that's an excellent point like if you have if you have okay your largest creature is your largest creature period mm-hmm. if you if you want celebrate the harvest to do the same thing as traverse the outlands you need every power below the power of your largest creature that is that is worth that being that much worse is worth more than one generic mana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that for sure. I mean, like, I think did someone note it here? There's um, harvest season. You said harvest season, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Harvest season, just like that card, always impresses me with how good it is. Like, it's usually three mana, like get three lands, and that's awesome. Like even when it's just three mana, get two lands onto the battlefield. Like cultivate can't right. even do that, you know. Like, yeah. Well, and that's like, very easy to do. You just need any like, oh, two mana, make two tokens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, so and har- celebrate the harvest will not do that. No, definitely. Here's my issue with all these these cards that like care about different powers, like. You know, there's a lot of ways to cheat effects that care about going wide, like your shamanic revelation or whatever. You know, you just play your conqueror's pledge or your increasing devotion or whatever, and like, boom, you get five cards off shamanic revelation. And there's a lot of ways to cheat things that care about going tall, like, oh, I'll just 
play a commander with really high power or play a bunch of fatties. And now my like hunter's insight or my hunter's prowess draws me a, an enormous amount of cards. But Coven requires you to go both wide and tall. And so it's just way worse than so many of the existing options in green. Yeah, again, I think this, much like the Wrath, it, it should have been costed more for the floor than the ceiling because you're going to be seeing the floor a lot more. Yeah, especially with this card. <laughs> um, this next one is another curse. This is Curse of the Clinging Webs. This is uh, a three mana curse. So you enchant a player for two and a green. Whenever a non-token creature enchanted player controls dies, exile it, and you create a one-two green spider creature token with reach. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do we feel about that? Some passive graveyard hate. Meta dependent, you know, if you see a lot of aristocrats and the kind of red-black sacrifice decks, then you might get a decent number of spiders. You know, it's it's not going to be as uh, brutally efficient as some of the other graveyard hate options, but it kind of strikes that balance that uh, some people prefer. I think it's kind of boring, but it will do the job. I don't fully see the point of printing this card. Like, I don't think we're going to get a five color curse commander anytime soon. So, like, if you're going to like waste limited card slots on curses that you know for a fact aren't going to be able to be played in the curse commander i think you'd want them to be things that are more generally useful like the white curse we saw like potentially acting as an anthem okay that makes sense but you're definitely not i feel like you're pretty much not going to want to curse yourself with curse of clinging webs because like exiling your cards heading to the graveyard is largely a, a I mean, it's a bigger downside in Commander than it is in a lot of formats. Uh, and if you're putting it on your opponents, you, you have no idea like whether that card is going to be live when you sit down at a new pod. So it could just be a stone blank, and you're not. You, there's no way you can run a Commander that will benefit you for for running this curse. I mean, yeah. I guess you could run like a Sithis or something, but like there's so many better enchantments. You're not going to put Curse of Clean Webs in that deck. I mean, I guess in, in the defense of Curse of Clinging Webs, you don't actually need to exile the creature to make the spider. Like, if you're playing, like, Malira Persist or something, like, this is an outlet for that. Um, you know, because you can persist the creature back before you exile it and create the spider, and now you have sure. infinite spiders. Like, it has those affirmative applications on yourself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, like, in a, in a random pod, a meta-dependent card, like, Curse of Clinging Webs, you know, isn't going to be great. But that's sort of true of every meta-dependent card, I think. Yeah. I guess you could run it in, like, your your spider tribal deck with yeah. Ishkana or something. My one thing, I try to, like, keep the salt down, but the only thing that really actually, like, gets me about this card is that it does do things. Like, now we have a, a definitive, like, curse commander, right? We have a commander made to be played with curses, very good with curses, is very flavorful and nice and cool. Um, but w- then they printed Curse of Clinging Webs, they printed some more white curses. Uh, these cards do not work in that curse list, so we're going to get more, like, there's going to be people that are still like, well, why can't I play this curse? <laughs> and that's the only kind of gripe I have about the printing of Curse of the Clinging Webs, is like, yeah, that, that is space that could have been used for something else. 
Um, and it really is just like they wanted to complete this cycle of curses that you might want to put on yourself. That's kind of like how I'm seeing it. So kind of a bummer, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Do I want to talk about this next card that actually is, is cool and makes me happy? Yes. This is Heronblade Elite. Two and a green or a 1-1 human warrior with vigilance. And whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Heron Blade Elite. And it has tap, add X mana of any one color, where X is Heron Blade Elite's power. Uh, this, this card is sweet as hell. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I use Viridian Joiner a lot. Uh, it works very well in all kinds of different decks, um, like Experiment Kraj, Willow Dusk, uh, Azuri Claw of Progress, Volrath the Shape Stealer, like any deck that can cheat that 1-1 one, one into something larger is already something that I'm, I'm looking at. And Viridian Joiner doesn't make mana of any color, and Viridian Joiner doesn't have Vigilance, and Viridian Joiner can't increase its own power. This is just a very, very good card in a vein that is already an interesting uh, place to be playing. Yeah, totally agree. Like, uh, I mean, the easiest point of comparison is Marwyn the Nurturer, which is mostly the same card, um, except it only taps for green, doesn't have vigilance, and it triggers off of elves, not humans. But even in the 99, Marwyn sees a lot of play in, in elf decks. She's in over 10,000 decks on EDH rec. And so, uh, I mean, it's this just seems like an easy inclusion in any green deck with a lot of humans. Um, uh, I, I think this is a, a great tribal reward and really happy to see this printed. And like we discussed in the last episode, Mana Dorks with Vigilance, there's just so much more going on there than the sum of the parts. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know. Dude, can we get into this next one? Because next one is... I'm yeah, this like, should be interesting. Uh, it's Ruinous Intrusion. Three and a green for an instant. Exile target artifact or enchantment. Put X plus and plus one counters on target creature you control, where X is the mana value of the permanent exiled this way. How do you all feel about it? I'm not sure yet. We might have to hash this out here. Uh, so, kind of first point in its favor. Exiling things isn't terribly common in green and the fact that this plays in the plan of voltron decks makes me think that perhaps it justifies the extra mana that's tacked on to the cost mm -hmm. um i looked at artifact mutation as sort of a point of reference it looks like it's in around 6800 decks and it kind of plays in a similar space of you know the bigger the thing you destroy the more the removal spell gives you um notably artifact mutation is only two mana but uh, i don't know i'd be curious to hear your perspectives on this card i generally don't love cards that do two things inefficiently i i am often happier just running the running like the the most efficient version of an effect even if i'm like not saving deck slots and like I, I don't really like it when the buffs in my Voltron list are contingent on my opponents having expensive artifacts and enchantments. Like, you know, if, if the only artifacts and enchantments on the, the board are soul rings, like, okay, it's cool to that it will kill them 
or it can kill one of them. But, you know, one plus one plus one counter is not an, a fantastic reward. And similarly, like if my opponent's going off with some like artifact or enchantment combo piece that I really need to answer, I, I don't love spending four mana to answer it. So um, it just seems like neither half of this card is like always going to be on. And I would rather like split out its effects and get my nature's claim and my like hand of Vecna or whatever. So I'm convinced that the only reason this card exists is that someone in R and D kept losing to someone's Dark Steel Forge deck. <laughs> um, I, that's like this huh. when this card shines is against big indestructible artifacts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I see you R and D. I know what it, you're I know what you're doing behind those doors. It turns your like dorky commander, your little two two, into an eleven eleven two turn clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I can, and I know, I know what decks you guys are playing now. Yeah, I guess I don't really have like a bottom line for this card. Um, you know, I'm not always the you know in the let's use the most efficient removal camp. I, I do actually like removal that is in conversation with the deck's plan. But man, four mana. Yeah, unless you are like draw going pretty hard. Like. I mean, if it were if it were two mana, I would be way higher on it. I don't think it would it wouldn't be busted at two mana. Um, it would just be like better than most of the naturalized variants we see. But whatever, its reward is like is basically damage output, which Commander needs more of anyway. So like, why not push the format in that direction? Yeah, I think at three mana, I would have been excited about this card, but at four mana, I'm like, oh. Okay. Yeah, I think I think three mana is probably the the breaking point for me as well. If this had been three, you know, you're paying a little premium to potentially get a fair amount of upside, mm-hmm. but this is quite a large premium. Yeah, definitely. Like it's such a big difference, three to four, just like absolutely insane. Yeah, to hold up mana, especially. Yeah. So we only have a few cards left. Um, this next one, uh, if I can read it off, if that's okay. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Uh, this is Sigardian Zealot. So this is a 3-3 three, three human cleric for 5 mana, 4 and a green. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose any number of creatures with different powers. Each of them gets plus X plus X and gains vigilance until end of turn, where X is Sigardian Zealot's power. Discuss. <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pathbreaker Ibex. Very similar, mm-hmm. kind of. You know, it gives plus X plus X. Um, with Pathbreaker Ibex, as long as it is alive, it's going to be three. Mm-hmm. It trades out Vigilance for Trample, but on the flip side, like other Coven ish things, this doesn't actually have to swing the Sigardian Zealot. Mm-hmm. Um, it is nice that you can get it on the first turn. That is a, a, an upgrade over a lot of Ibex variants. Yeah, it kind of, like, is an overrun. Again, if you can jump through this, like, horribly painful hoop (laughs) of playing the Coven game. It doesn't play nicely with Token Swarms, which is where I typically want these kinds of buffs. I think that hurts it quite a lot. Okay, I know that they're trying to get us to play in a different direction than normal. Um but I really wish that like all these things that say choose any number of creatures with different powers. I just wish that they said like 
coven if you have three or more different powers then do like you know then everything gets plus x plus x or everything gets double strike like is is the hoop three or is the hoop like as many as humanly possible well i think Mm -hmm. they're trying to commanderize the hoop by sort of moving the target from three to well how many can you do uh i i would let me just tweak your wording. I would maybe like moving the target. Can we just call that moving the goalposts? <laughs> Cause that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. It definitely creates a splashier story. If you can get the, you know, amazing eight different powers coven. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you only were counting up to three, you wouldn't even realize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's true. It's kind of lackluster. These cards tend to just not play that well. I think it would be more functional if it was just Coven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the last card, though? We got one more card in the whole set. Sure. sure. Uh, this next card is Somberwald Beastmaster. It's six and a green for a 1-1 one, one creature human ranger. Making use of that new creature type. Uh, when Somberwald Beastmaster enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 two, two green wolf creature token, a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token, and a 4-4 four, four green beast creature token. Uh, creature tokens you control have death touch. What are your thoughts on this card? Is this the first time we've seen two different size of beast on one card? Yeah, I I, I think it, it might sure. honestly be like two different size of any creature token. Um, huh. I it's really bizarre that they couldn't think of like another like like those bears on Innistrad. Just make it a four four bear. It, yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is weird. Okay, well, I have some some nice things, I think, to say about this card. If, for whatever reason, you are trying to make a coven, this does it instantly, and it gives you four different numbers, so that's pretty cool. Um, it, we have some pretty like easy points of comparison for this card. There's Tristani's Summoner, which is very similar. It's um, green, white, and five, and it makes a 2-2 Knight with Vigilance, a 3-3 Centaur, and a 4-4 Rhino with Trample, I think. This makes the same size of tokens, changes the creature type, and gets rid of all those other keywords and just calls it Death Touch. Calls it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, Death Touch, I think, will typically put your opponents in a tougher spot blocking these like weird tokens. Um, and in that regard, it is also reminiscent of Hornet Queen, which also just makes like a canned army of Death Touch creatures. Those two cards, Tristani's Summoner and Hornet Queen, have very different levels of adoption. Um, Tristani's Summoner is in 1,200 decks, and Hornet Queen is in 10,000 decks. This will probably be like somewhere in the middle. You know, like those other two cards, if you blink it or reanimate it uh, or clone it, it's pretty good. It's got a real small body, so in white, you can reanimate it reasonably easy. And then kind of maybe one deck that like really wants this is um essex uh the fractal bloom where you can just play this and pow 31 power on the board (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah that actually kind of gets me to uh the reason why i think tristani summoner isn't as like highly played is uh like tristani summoner is obviously it's two color it's selesnia And I think that kind of hinders it because Selesnia doesn't actually give a crap about like the size of its original tokens. It kind of just wants like tokens. It wants sapperlings. It's going to pump them. You're going to overrun. You're going to put counters on them. You're going to tap them to your Glarus Abdul. That's kind of what Selesnia wants to do with their tokens. Just make a lot of them and make them big. 
other colors care more about the size of the tokens and what those tokens are doing. And that's why I think Hornet Queen sees vastly more plays because it's mono green. It can go into way more decks. So you can put it in your red green list um, that goes big, gets big mana so you can cast it, which I think is where this also might see some play is in mono green list with like bigger mana, green, red lists. Like you said, green, blue gets to have fun too, because when you make tokens in green, blue, they're usually interesting. So like copying those tokens or doing things with them is a little bit more fun. Uh, And then green, black too, uh, also is probably going to like this more because you can reanimate it. Uh, you're totally right. You can reanimate this with like even Vesper Lark can like yeah. hit back your Somberwald Beastmaster, which is pretty rad. Um, but black, just as everyone knows, just can can just do that. You can just whisper, sack to the tokens, get back your Somberwald Beastmaster, get more tokens, whatever. There's so many ways to do that, right? So I think the fact that it is monocolor means that it is more likely to see play amongst other lists just because it can fill so many different roles where the reason Tristani Summoner is in so few decks is just because like it's stuck in a guild that has better options. But we did it. That's yeah. the end. That's it. Yep. Uh, see you all in two weeks when we... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, this is... Um, I've been, for the most part, really happy with the cards they've been printing in the commander decks and the commander decks in general. You know, like it... it is cool that they're finding places to print new cards. I, I wish that they would just uh, actually try to try to swing. You know, you miss a hundred percent of the the bats you don't take uh, shots you don't take shots you don't take. Yeah, that famous uh, Michael Scott quote. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like when they do stuff like five color curse cycle, they're going up to bat and they're just refusing to take a swing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's kind of a bummer, yeah. but um, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of cards for commander players, and that's not a bummer. Yeah, uh, how do you feel about uh, these precons compared to previous ones? Do you think it's pretty good hit rate? Um, and are you excited for the next batch coming with Crimson Val? Well, they're both sort of in that on the one hand, we have a tribal deck, and on the other hand, we have a deck that's playing into pretty narrow um, plan, which I guess is the point. That's kind of what they like are trying to do with these uh, precons that are associated with standard sets. Insofar as you know, we got useful tools for zombie decks. That's pretty cool if you have a zombie deck. Um, I think you know we spoke pretty highly of cards that are just generally applicable. I kind of wish that maybe more of the cards that were not specific to these very narrow plans were more broadly applicable, but I mean, I, I that's sort of like, it goes without saying that that would be the preference, I think. Mm-hmm. But we, we got a decent number of them, like Prowling Geist Catcher isn't zombie specific, and it's quite broad in its application. We've got Wall of Mourning, again, that like I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and say you should probably go get some Wall of Mornings, people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So, you know, it, we it, it isn't that we only got cards that go into these narrow plans, um, but there's there's still chaff to cut. I think from what we did get, I think overall they did pretty well. I think if they had maybe executed on the Coven Commander a little bit better. 
then I'd be more excited about these coven specific cards. But maybe, but even then, like it, it's trying to reward something that just doesn't happen that naturally in commander. Whereas like the zombie precon is like, Oh yeah, it's, it's not a huge burden for me to run a bunch of zombies. Cause they already reward each other for doing this thing. Like it's, extremely backwards compatible as opposed to i get one set of cards with coven and like a handful of precon cards but i think hopefully the next two will both be like pretty much just straight tribal decks and then we'll and then they'll be like really backwards compatible and they can maybe i don't know then i'll be maybe a little bit more excited for cards that are specific to those themes mm-hmm. yeah we'll just have to see i guess if edgar markov can actually be challenged at all <laughs> yeah yeah ooh, it, it ooh, might not be possible we will find out mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's it we're gonna have a, another episode with our predictions for um it it goes over our predictions for modern horizons and forgotten realms adventures in the forgotten realms so that's going to be coming up I guess we're going to continue regular scheduling as soon as all these episodes come out. Mm-hmm. And I guess, Alex, thank you for coming on. Um, again, like Alex helps us a lot usually when behind the scenes, just like talking about cards, like offering his opinions on things uh, during spoiler season. So this time building uh, decks, able, uh, a couple yeah, building of which decks. will be uh, linked in the episode description. So the fact that he could come on this time was great and we're super happy you could join us. Well, as always, uh, it is a great pleasure uh, to be involved. You know, it's uh, I love the game and uh, I have always loved your guys and your content. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be a part of it. Well, thanks so much. And of course, you're welcome back on the show whenever you feel like it. Huh. Yeah, already. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess everyone let us know what you think, too. What did you like from these decks? What did you not like? Do you think they complemented the set enough? Uh, and we'll see you, like I guess, in six weeks or something. <laughs> or <the> next <laughs> see that review. Yeah. yeah, to see if uh, the spirit deck lives up to its name and all that kind of fun stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>